Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is good to be together this morning. I'm glad that uh, you're here. So maybe you're back from fall break, but it's just good to be together as we continue on this series of Temple Talk, the series of the book of Luke and looking through the book of Luke and allowing Jesus' teachings really to confront us. Um, and, and if they haven't been confronting your heart and your soul, then I've been doing a bad job. So I'll just confess that right now because the, the intention is that when Jesus enters into our life and our world, it, it changes us. And it deals with the things, the preconceived concepts that we often have in our own head and our own mind. And that's what's so great about this study, about Jesus' talks. What is he saying to us? What does he mean for us? And what is he calling us to do and to be? Uh, school was not the greatest place for me in my life. Anybody else would join me with that conclusion? School, like, how many of you love school? Raise your hand. I love school. That's the popular crowd. You see it right there. That's no, I'm joking. I mean, it was a so. I mean, for me, it's a social nightmare, right? I mean, school was just an uncomfortable place. Uh, I, I was an almost in about everything. So I was at almost everything. So if I was in band, I was kind of kind of not one of the great kids in band, but I was in band. Uh, tried out for sports. I got cut from the freshman basketball team, which they were right on on doing that because I was not good enough. Football wasn't big enough so everybody could come out and run around and get beat up for a while and pretend to play the sport. I did get in my senior year. I did play. And this, this, is, this is my only, my only personal football story. But it, even, even in that, explains to you how I fit in through my, the school life and, and being, feel like I, I, I was accepted as far as that's concerned. I was a running back. Now, that should make you laugh right away, for one thing, because I was like this height, but 145 pounds. I mean, there was nothing to me whatsoever, and I really wasn't that fast. But we were beating a team really bad. They gave me the ball. I ran. It was like 30 yards. I was at the five-yard line. Five yard line. One guy in front of me who was being blocked. I still have this vivid memory. I'll try not to cry. Trying to be blocked, and I thought he was going to block him to the right. He blocked him to the left, and when I tried to shift my weight, my feet went right out from underneath me. No one touched me. I fell at the five-yard line. I heard the crowd in the background cheering like, he's going to, he's going to, oh, I literally heard that. That is in my mental memory of my, my life and dejected and just like, oh, you know, and just, it's just the way it felt. I had a, a group of friends that I was growing up with that we were, we were not the in crowd by any means. But he all of a sudden was great at sports. And all of a sudden, he's a good-looking guy. I don't know why he was hanging with us for one reason. He was a good-looking guy and was kind of athletic. And so in high school, he became, like, really, really popular. And so all of a sudden, the friendship started breaking apart. He started hanging with some others, and he got invited to parties. I didn't get invited to, to those things. But it just was, I mean, it's hard. Have you ever, I mean, all of us have, even as adults, moments where you don't feel like you really fit in. Like you're on the outside. Uh, one of those and, and, uh, is going to your spouse's Christmas parties at their workplace, right? Anybody agree with me on that? Please raise your hand. Yes. Like, hey, we're having a Christmas party. Do you want to come along? Sure. I know. You know, you're just like, I don't belong here. What's our, this is uncomfortable. But it goes from those types of things that are lighthearted. You, we know we're not going to get damaged, hopefully, at some Christmas party, some Christmas event, even though it's uncomfortable it is. But there are other things in this world, in the hearts of mankind, where we are exclusive, where we, where we have this even battle now in the political system, right? If you're a Democrat or a Republican, right? There's battle lines. There's, there's, there's things that are drawn, and you don't associate. You don't talk because things rise inside of us. We have, we have certain attitudes towards aliens that are part of our, uh, that, that live amongst us, that we look at everybody with suspicion as like, you really don't belong here, do you? 
And we have that heart that, that has a tendency to build up in us, that all the way to, to just bullying, which is a big issue, social bullying, physical bullying from our students that are, in, that you, if you don't fit in, if you don't look this way, then I am, I am going to not only just, I just won't ignore you, I will punish you. And it creates scarring in lives and in hearts. And this is the world we live in. But it is not the world that God intended. It is not the place of God's heart. It's different. It's larger. It has a different plan, and God has always had a bigger plan, and Jesus reveals that in, in scriptures. He talks about it in this text of Luke chapter four. If you have your Bibles or a Bible with you, or we have actually New Testaments in the back. If you don't have a Bible and like a New Testament, uh, there's actually one in the back connection center. Please pick one of those up, and, and go, you can go now and go pick one up and, and look up Luke chapter four. It's one of the Gospels, and uh, we're gonna be looking through verses 14 through 30, because in this text, Jesus goes back to Nazareth. He goes back to his hometown. And when you begin reading this text, you, you'll see that he was, he was kind of popular at this point. It was the beginning of his ministry. People were still trying to figure out who he was. And to some degree, Jesus was coming back to Nazareth as somewhat of a hero. He left as a carpenter's son. He left as a nobody. He left this sleepy town of which people would say that what good comes out of Nazareth? What good can come from this place? And yet Jesus, when he's returned, had to come back with some notoriety. And I even believe that the people in their, in their heart and their mind were excited about Jesus coming back and coming back into his community and coming back to the synagogue. The same synagogue, I have no doubt, that Jesus grew up in. He was a teenager there. He was engaged. He knew them, and they knew who he was and so let's follow along in Luke chapter 4. We're going to read verses 14 through 30 this morning. And follow along on the screen as well. Here we go. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everybody was praising him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind. He set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have, we have heard that you have done in Capernaum. And truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed but Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue, I mean, we were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built. He ordered to, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right 
threw the crowd and went on his way. What, what an encounter. What a moment. What, what a wrestling that Jesus chose in his hometown. Jesus returns to Nazareth, Nazareth with differently. He's coming home filled with the Spirit. Two-thirds, think about this. When you read this text, the Spirit was upon him. Two-thirds of the Godhead were in full presence. Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit of God, all were in conjunction and moving in in order to proclaim something brand new that day. He came there to create for them a stir, and he created a stir, as we can see at the very end. Stirred up the whole community, so much so that they wanted to throw him off of a cliff. It seems like a, a, harsh, a harsh response to what Jesus simply is trying to teach them, isn't it? When we think about that, like, why would you try to kill somebody for, for declaring God's favor upon humanity? It's because they had a certain mentality and narrative about God that didn't agree with what Jesus just said. They had something in their mind, in their head that disagreed what he was trying to, trying to tell them the heart of God. They disagreed with God's heart. They disagreed with God's plan and it stirred within their own mind this, this anger and this bitterness. So how does it get there? You see, because in their mind, they have written the story and been told the story so many times that Yahweh, the God of all creation, he was their God. He wasn't everybody else's God. He was their God because they, Israel, was their chosen people. And they're right. They were chosen for a specific task in the covenant that God made through Abraham that all nations, all humanity, all people, all human beings that breathe may be blessed. They were chosen so that all could be blessed. They weren't chosen so that they could be set apart and be the only ones that would receive salvation, only ones that receive, um, receive God's honor, receive God's attention, receive God's favor. You see, in their, their mind, they believed that the Messiah was coming to free them and free them alone, to restore them and to restore them alone, that the earthly powers would be punished. As a matter of fact, the Gentiles would be punished in the midst of all this, but Israel would be raised up. They had this, this mentality that, that God, that, that they and God were the only ones really, I mean, they were the only ones that God really cared about. A misconception but it was in their heartbeat. It is how they saw God interact with the world and with them. You see, even Peter, the apostle, grew up in his own mind uh, with this mentality. It had a root in him because he was apostle with Jesus. He followed Jesus. He, he, he became a follower for three years of his life, later died because when, the Holy Spirit, when Jesus died and buried and resurrected again and the Spirit came into Peter, the Spirit began working on him. In Acts chapter 10, also written by Luke, tells a story of where this, this truth about God's willing to, to embrace humanity and to love them came and confronted Peter's own heart. In Acts chapter 10, you, you can see this. He's actually, he's actually waiting for dinner. He's really, really hungry. And he goes up to the rooftop to pray, it says in Acts chapter 10. And while he's up there and when he begins to pray, God puts him in a trance. What's so interesting about that is because unbeknownst to Peter, that God had begun speaking to Cornelius, a Gentile, and told him that there was a man on a, in, in a house that he needed to send so that he could come and teach them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Cornelius, a Gentile, sent three other Gentiles to go to where Peter was in order to find him and to bring Peter back with them. But God knew in order for that to become a reality that God had to confront Peter about what was in his own heart. And so Peter's in this trance, whatever that looks like, and this is it. God basically goes, hey, Peter, let's go on a picnic. That's my translation. 
Because it says that in chapter 10 that the sheet comes down. And when the sheet comes down, it has animals. It has critters on it. I think it's the very first barbecue because I can guarantee you there's a pig on there. There's four-footed animals. Everything was on there. Now, for a good Jew, right? A faithful, God-loving Jew, all these four-legged animals knew, were unclean. There was no way they would eat. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's sinning against God. That's going against the law. That's going against everything. And God lowers this down, and he goes, here's barbecue. Go kill and eat. And Peter, a good, faithful Jew, looks at I me mean, in response to this, goes, God, I can't do that. That's unclean. And then God responds back to him and goes, Peter, do not call what I've cleansed unclean. And it happens again. Kill, I can't. Three times. Three times. Peter rejects all three times. God wakes him up from his trance. I'd be freaking out. What just happened? Wouldn't you be? I'd be like, okay, I don't understand that. Is this from God? Is this not from God? And he is up on this roof wrestling with his own heart. And God puts this in his mind and listen, do not call what I have cleansed unclean. And before he can get his head around it, the door knocks. Or we could say a doorbell. Yeah, didn't have a doorbell. And the three guys show up. And in that moment, when they show up, they, they begin telling him, and Peter's got to make this decision. Do I go with these Gentiles to a Gentile's house, which was against the law for a Jew? Because God is telling me to change how I view them how I look at them. And this is what he's wrestling. God was correcting Peter's worldview. He was helping them see the humanity, that the people were like him who needed redemption and, and, and salvation. And he didn't have that in his head. Even at that point, and Peter goes in his faithful, and it's really interesting, in verse 34, when he shows up in Cornelius' house, he, he speaks these words. It's not on a slide, but he speaks, you can look this up and see yourself. He says, now I know that God does not show favoritism. Isn't that a great truth? God doesn't show favoritism. I, I love that about God. And in this moment that Jesus on this day reveals his mission. Look at, look at verses, verse 18. He gets into this Isaiah passage, Isaiah 61. It's a great text. It is, he's pulling this back. Here Jesus is, he stands up. It's almost like he's the guest preacher that day. Did you get that sense in the text? He's like this, hey, we're gonna let him read scripture because he's the, he's the famous guy and we wanna see him do miracles. We wanna see him do things he's been doing other places. Maybe he'll, he'll wow us with something. And Jesus simply opens this text up because he wants them to hear that there is a new, new era. There is a new time. There is renewal about ready to come to humanity if they will understand it and grasp it and if they would. And he he begins this, this understanding of what this ministry is. Let me read that for you again. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, to recover of sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2a. Now, if you ever see or hear someone say 2a, a means it's the front side of a verse. If you hear to be, it means it's the latter part of the verse. I don't know if you knew that or not, but just to educate you, so A means the front side of the verse. So this is really one and two A. I'm gonna get to B here in a second. But what he proclaims to us is this. It's, it's a ministry of proclamation. Jesus says, I've come to proclaim something to you. I've come to let you know something. I'm let you, let you know that you do not know, and it's good news, he says, to the poor. It's this word gospel. 
I'm bringing some good news that you have been longing for. You've been longing for freedom, but I'm gonna give you a different kind of freedom. You've been longing for just in poverty and and I am come to be this herald. It's this word, herald. proclamation is this word herald as if one sent by the king to bring good news. And that's what Jesus is here. He goes, I'm bringing you something that is gonna, gonna, gonna change your life. I'm gonna bring you something that will change everything about us. And it was this good news to the poor. It was this good news to the freedom. Of the same. And it begins with the word. God says, listen, I, I need to speak to you these words because I need your mind to begin wrestling with something. Jesus knows, God knows our creator, that unless our minds are transformed, our lives do not change. And it begins with proclaiming the words that transform minds. And so Jesus, in reading this, was saying minds have to be transformed and it comes through the spirit. It comes through the spirit that God gives them. And this, this information that he gave them was that there was no, no longer need to be spiritually impoverished. There's no longer to feel like, God, you're so far away. When all of a sudden, through Jesus Christ, not only is God not distant anymore, it doesn't have to be distant anymore, but God lives with inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And we are empowered to live and, and to be shaped as Jesus walks with us. And there's a beauty in that. But there's no longer for the, the prisoners to stay in prison because that's what happens. A lot of believers, a lot of people go make Jesus their Lord, they're baptized, and then they continue to live in sin as if they have no power in their life to overcome sin. And Jesus goes, wait, I, I came to free you from that. Too many of us strive to live as if, as if we still are totally 100% controlled by sin. Paul says we're dead to sin, so why do we keep living as if we're still in jail? One of the biggest things that occurred in slavery after, after the Civil War in the U.S., is that in the deep, deep south, many, many of them were legally, right? Legally free. Had they ever been free? No. They never lived a free moment in their life. Do you think they knew how to live free? No. And many in the deep south never left. Many of the deep south, even though by law, by the books, by what was written in the law of the United States of America, war over, north won, slaves are free. Many in the south, guess how they lived? As slaves. Because that's all they knew. In spite of the declaration of being freed. You see, Jesus is telling them and telling us that, listen, it's time that we move and move out of this, this the, 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 the the chains of sin have been broken and it's time to live as free people through the grace of Christ. He also talks about this ministry of action. It wasn't just words, it was also action. Uh, Notice those action words of those verses. Recover the sight of the blind, set the oppressed free. It wasn't just to open the door, but it was to call them out, it was to bring them out, it was to go, go through that life in order that they may find redemption. And Jesus, in the next three years, what did he do? Jesus in his ministry was 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 active. He healed the blind. He raised the dead. He taught and he spoke the things he very did. He hung out with tax collectors. He, he went to the places that the, the good religious folks would never go. He was accused of being a drunkard because he hung out with, with, with those that were, that were living their life as, as if they had, no, um, had all these burdens. And Jesus goes, I've come to set them free from the tax collector to the prostitute. There's nothing more moving in, in my mind when you read the, the gospel and you hear Mary Magdalene who washed Jesus' feet and, and cried at his feet. Because why? Because she'd been set free. 
And for the first time, she was living a free woman, not afraid of men around the table, not afraid of how she would be seen, but she was grateful in her heart for the freedom and love for the first time. No longer loving, no longer hungering for the love of, of man, of men, because she had, she had experienced the true love of God. And it freed her and made her whole again. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of action and the doors would be open. And it was a saving, saving ministry. Would you, uh, m- most of you know John 3.16. I'm not trying to put you on the spot whatsoever. And you can listen to each other all you want. But let's just say that, that, that verse together. Are you, are you game for that, right? It's not going to be on the screen. You, you've seen it at football games. And surely you've maybe looked it up and found out what it is. For some of you, it's been deep in your heart since you're a small child. So let's say it together. For God so loved the... That he gave, that whoever believes in him should, but, now who can quote from me verse 17? <laughs> now you go, oh, wait a minute, whoa, 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 right? Somebody knows it, right? Who knows it? What is it? That's right. I'm glad you, you attached 17. Woo-hoo. Here it is. Let me say it again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Did Jesus have every right to come to the world and condemn it? The answer is yes. And this verse, this this Isaiah passage he's reading said, listen, I've come to redeem it. I've not come to condemn it. And what's interesting is not only what is it's important of what Jesus read out of that Isaiah 61, but it's what he did not read. Verse two, B. For what the rest of that verse is, says is this. It says that and, there's an and actually after all that. The year of jubilee and bring the day of vengeance of God. The last part of two is a statement of judgment. God's going, I'm not coming to judge now. It's not the time for me to come and judge now. My season of jubilee, my season of freedom, I'm declaring the beginning of a new season for humanity. And you know what? Right now, we still live in that season. We still live, for whatever reason, I do not know. God says, I still have the favor of salvation upon you. He is not returning. He has not come back again. But when he comes back again, it will be the judgment. It will be Isaiah 61, verse 2, part B. But until then, God, Jesus, Jesus came and said, I did not come to condemn. And so I've got to ask us this question. Church, followers of Jesus, should not my heart be the same? Should my heart not be one of, hey, look at the world. I can't believe they're doing it. Why, why, why is the church, what are we known for? Being what? Judgmental. Condemning. And that's not the heart of God. And that's what God asks of us in our own heart, in our own calling, our own mission. Because we do get in our own minds the same things that God is, well, yeah, God saves. He saves me, but I'm not sure he'll save. I'm not sure they're interested, and I'm not sure God. We already exclude people. Well, they're different from me. They don't look like me. Well, they're, you know, they're really into this. Or, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, that they're having issues and in, in maybe homosexual or transgender or they have this other... It's time for us as the church to realize God has called us to set people free, not to condemn them to hell. 
And it means I've got to change my own mind. It means I've got to change how I view my own worldview of God and my own worldview when I live my life. Because this is the mission of the church. Jesus is setting out the mission of the church. One is this. Let's go right back to it. One is this. Jesus came in the spirit. Guess what he sends you? What did he give us? The spirit. He didn't say, hey, here's six principles to go live by and be my follower. Here's these rules to go live by to be my follower. No, I'm gonna give you a new relationship and that new relationship is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers us. It does not leave us. It leads us and encourages us and it shapes us and it confronts us and I hope this morning he's confronting you like he's been confronting me when he deals with this text because in this text it's telling me, listen, we do not go with the spirit of timidity but of power and the power of God, not in our power, not in our mind, not in our knowledge but in, in the faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Christ. Two, it is filled with the Spirit. It is a, it, he sends us, he sends us to be his people on mission of proclamation. Folks, I know this is difficult, but I'm just telling you, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to share verbally Jesus. It doesn't matter how you scored on a personality test. It doesn't matter if you say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That is not the excuse. Some, some have that leaning and a gift, and may the Lord bless them. But it is the expectation of us all. And it is, it requires us to tell the message of Christ. It is a message of proclamation. It is telling, telling, this, telling those that are in our world, it is telling them, if we don't, it's basically we have the same spirit in us that, that was in the Jewish religion and their own thought. Who do we want to see to come to Christ? And am I speaking into them? Am I building a relationship? Am I giving margin in my life for time in order that I may, may be able to tell them and speak to them in the love? We need to realize it is a, a mission of action, of, of being led by the Spirit, a, a proclamation, but also of action. He commissions us to be people who go and make disciples. Go, make disciples. And the question is, are you making disciples? We often use that great commission out of Matthew and missions, right? Oh, yeah, we're going to send people, but I don't have to be on mission with God. No, no, no. God says, this is my commission to my followers. Go and make disciples. Be a disciple who makes a disciple. And we need to wrestle with that. Am I making a disciple? Have I made a disciple? I've been a follower of Jesus for a lot of years, but have you actually made a disciple? Have you engaged someone and brought them from one place to another place into maturity? And are they making disciples? Am I dealing with this understanding that God expects of his father, expects of all of us, not just the preacher, not just the hired gun, not just the person that, that stands up front and, and speaks on a stage, but he has the expectation of those who love him to be people who are people of action, that are engaging their world, that are building relationships with their world because there are people out there that need to know the gospel. So we need to check our heart. What is my heart towards, towards someone that is from a, di a different country that has a Hispanic background or who has, has an Asian background or who has a Muslim background? What is your heart towards them? And, and then lay that before the Lord. Maybe you have a, a, a neighbor who, who they're, they're not married at all and, but they and they have kids and they're like, oh, well, you know, what's your heart towards them? What's God call your heart to be towards them? Maybe, maybe you have neighbors that are homosexuals and you're like, how do I, I don't know what to do. I just stay away because I don't want to go there. But God's going, I want you to go there. I need you to go there. I need our heart, we need our hearts to go there. There's this great story, Brandon Riddler. I, I, I got a chance to meet him this week at a conference. Born a little boy. I'll make this really concise. He was born a little boy, but all his growing up, he had 
a sense of wanting to be a female. And his sense of wanting to be a female, at age 17, he began the process of transition over, had the full transition over to become female. And in this process, he wrestled with God in it. He was, a, he was a young man who grew up hungering for God, even in the midst of this inner struggle that he did not ask for. He did not sign up for. But this was his world, and he was trying to figure it out in submission to God, and he found himself as a full female. He showed us pictures of, of himself at all these stages of his life. As a, as a woman, changed his name to woman, he sought God so much that he began going to a church and you can imagine that experience for him, right? You can imagine. But the beautiful thing is that the heart of four women in that church had the heart of God. The, women, the four women who, who invited him in to their world, and they loved on him. They loved on him, and, and just loved on her, and they just studied scriptures together, and they didn't push, they didn't prod, they didn't condemn, they didn't do anything. They just, until he finally felt comfortable and began telling his story and his struggle, and they said, we don't know how to, we don't know how to journey through this either, but we're gonna do it with you. And they loved him. And over the four years of his life and his journey, as in his 20s, he, he's in his probably late 20s now, uh, early 30s maybe, but in this journey that he began to realize that God did not make a mistake, that who he was was, was, was to be male, and he, he realized that he needed the redemptive, the renewing of God in his life. And he showed a picture of his baptism, and he was baptized into his given name because he knew that's who God called him to be. And he's continuing to work his way through that. But you see, he gave his life to Jesus Christ in the submission. My question is, would it ever happen if someone walked in here? Will we love and not condemn in order that they may be saved and come to know the same grace we have? This is Jesus. We're gonna have communion. Jason, uh, come on up. Because it's the Lord's Supper, it's not ours. And guess what? He invites us. He invites us to come. He invites us to enter. He invites us to this table. Now, it's a place I don't deserve a seat at. Right? I don't deserve a seat at this table with him. But by his grace, he invites us to this table. He invites us because he wants us as we are. And so when we take these emblems, this cup that represents the blood of Christ that died in order that we may be saved, that he paid the penalty for us, that the doors can be opened, that we can be set free, that we can experience it. When we, when we, when we hold that piece of bread, we remember his body that was broken for us, the pain that he went through, all in order that we may be included. It's a time of gratitude. It's a time of when, when you take these to remember not only just confession of our own heart, but of just gratitude. Thank you for, for inviting me. Thank you for making this a gospel that all can respond to. Thank you for not looking at me as an individual or you and going, no, not you, you, not you, but saying, my grace, for he desires all to be saved. That's what we celebrate when we come around the Lord's Supper, when we take these emblems, we take them to remembering his love and remembering that no matter if this world feels like it's going to reject us, Jesus Christ does not. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you 
Father, that you allow us to come before you. Forgive us, Father, when we have had judgmental hearts. Forgive us, Father, when we have, we have chosen to push people away that you may have been actually calling us to go to. Help us to discern through your Holy Spirit to have wisdom in all these circumstances. And Father, to shape our hearts in ways that, that need to be shaped, that they're more like you rather than more like us and more like even in our Christian culture, Father, that we want to be more like you. So Father, today as we come around this, these emblems, may it, may it stir up with inside of us a new passion and a new love. No longer fear that holds us back. But Father, a desire to be submissive to you and to join you on your mission of setting the captives free of good news to the poor, releasing the oppressed. There's hope. In Jesus' name.